0: That was not a fun game to watch for ND Nation. Cincinnati 24, ND 13. The game started with a promising drive, only to end with a back-breaking turnover. And that turnover really set the tone for what did the Irish in against Cincinnati. We'll get into the details in our recap, but overall a frustrating game where ND shot itself in the foot again and again, particularly in the first half.
1: We knew this day would come at some point. Unfortunately, our first podcast coming off of a loss For Gyrish Talk. That being said, I do think it's important to take a moment to appreciate that home win streak. It was a fun ride extending across many seasons, and and this game was a reminder to not take success like that for granted. It's also worth mentioning that wins against unranked opponent streak is still intact, at least for now. Tough game coming up against an unranked Virginia Tech. So here's the hoping we can keep building on that and start a new long home win streak when we come back from the bye week.
0: Agreed. Quick season outlook update, per ESPN's FPI, Andy's projected win total has now dropped to 8.7 with a 5.3% chance of winning out. A lot of 50-50 games from here on out with only a couple easier ones. Georgia Tech and Navy, those are the only two games where we're getting a greater than 75% chance of winning. And Georgia Tech, frankly, has looked a little frisky at times. ESPN is giving us a 72% shot against USC, but to me personally, that, that feels a bit generous. And the rest are in that 50 to 60% toss-up range, which feels about right to me. It's worth calling out that Stam- that Stanford game is looming a lot larger than it did before after their big upset over Oregon this week. Uh, some well-documented questionable officiating that did some major damage to the Pac-12 postseason hopes, but a big win nonetheless.
1: Yeah, the season outlook is definitely looking shakier after this week. But look, Notre Dame's not alone. Winning consistently is not easy. There's been a lot of chaos in this college football season already. As Mike alluded to, it's it's not looking good for the Pac-12 right now. Uh, there's no remaining undefeated teams in that conference, and just this week, four top ten teams went down. We, we already mentioned Oregon and Notre Dame. Number ten, Florida went down against unranked Kentucky. They're now three and two. Number eight, Arkansas was basically run off the field against number two Georgia. Very very tough opponent for Arkansas, but they take their first loss in an absolute licking. And number six, Oklahoma, they continue to look shaky. They squeak one out against Kansas State, a common theme for the Sooners this season. Outside the top ten, plenty of other losses. Ole Miss got hammered by Alabama. Texas A&M continues their slide. They lose to an unranked Mississippi uh, Mississippi State, dropping a 3-2 on the season. And UCLA loses to unranked Arizona State. Baylor lost in a tough one to Oklahoma State. And number 18 Fresno State, an up-and-coming group of five program, they lose to an unranked Hawaii team for their second loss on the season.
0: Yeah, as Brett said, he, he really hit it a lot of chaos this week. Regarding future ND opponents, uh, Virginia had a big win Thursday night against Miami. Miami is maybe looking a lot weaker than, than we thought they were at the beginning of the season. And it's looking like a tough future matchup, Virginia's UNC, they won handily against Duke. We already talked about Stanford, but elsewhere in the Pac-12, USC has looked better since Helton was dismissed, and they won comfortably versus Colorado. Navy has generally not looked good this year, but they did just notch a close win over UCF. Georgia Tech was blown out against Pitt. However, as we mentioned, they have looked competitive at times this year. And of course, we have Virginia Tech as a tough road game this week, which we'll get to in a bit.
1: Takeaway is that while there aren't any dominant teams remaining on Notre Dame's schedule, there's plenty of solid teams that are more than capable of beating Notre Dame, especially after considering this past week's performance against Cincinnati. Notre Dame is also capable of winning all of these games, but could drop three or four.
0: Moving on, what do we have in store for this week's show, Brett? Uh, also, I have to say, it sounds like your voice has made a nice recovery. Uh, you no longer sound like you've been chained smoking heaters for 20 years.
1: <laughs> the voice is definitely feeling better. I'm just glad I didn't waste all my vocal endurance during a game like this past one. Uh, we've got a great show this week, even after the brutal college football weekend that was Notre Dame's loss to Cincinnati. We'll recap that game and then have the return of listener questions. After that, we'll break down next week's game against the Virginia Tech Hokies. Following that, we're going to approach an uncomfortable question for Notre Dame fans. Are we overrated? We took a deep dive into the data and looked not to spoil the segment, but the answer may be an uncomfortable truth for Notre Dame fans. Uh, We did tease out, however, some really intriguing takeaways. Excited to dive into that segment. And then to close out, we've got a short segment looking ahead to Notre Dame's future schedule and opponents in 2022 and beyond.
0: Before jumping to our first segment, thanks again to all our subscribers and followers across the various social media and podcast platforms. We appreciate all the love we've received so far. Please review us, rate us, spread the word if you like our show. Also, uh, shout out to Justin Roosh, hopefully I pronounced that right, for having the closest score prediction this week. For our listeners who didn't see it, we did a pregame Twitter contest where the closest prediction would receive a shout out in our podcast. Justin predicted a 31-30 Notre Dame win. God bless our followers where a one-point ND win was the winning prediction in an 11-point loss. Uh, Just, yeah, again, just love the optimism. All right, well, that being said, let's kick off our, our first segment.
1: Well, I'll start off by saying this. Do not blame that game on the defense, okay? I don't care who you play, whether it's a high school team, a junior college team, a college team, much less an NFL team, when you turn the ball over five times, Four interceptions, one for a touchdown, three others in field position to set up touchdowns. You ain't going to beat anybody I just talked about. Anybody. All right? And that was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. We threw that game. We gave it away by doing that. We gave them the friggin' game. In my opinion, that sucked. What's that? Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? playoffs, I just hope we can win a game.
0: The Cincy game, 24-13, Irish lose a tough game. Brett, you've got a confession to make to start?
1: Yeah, on last week's show, I erroneously said I was 3-1 against the spread this year in Notre Dame games, and I threw out Toledo because I told our listeners, don't touch betting that game, and I didn't feel good about my prediction. In fact, there's a correction. I was actually 2-2 on the season. I was also incorrect in the Florida State game where I thought Notre Dame would cover but, unfortunately for Irish fans, my prediction this week was spot on. Predicting that Notre Dame loses by 11 and the game hits the under, that's exactly what happened. So now, throwing out Toledo, I'm, I'm back to 3-1 and one on the season, although frankly, um, don't feel good about that one. Wish, uh, wish I was wrong and, and the Irish had come out on this
0: one. Look, 75% can make a lot of money with that percentage in Vegas. That'll get I, you in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I wish my prediction had come true, but unfortunately, uh, I was wrong against the spread. Um, so, we'll see. Hopefully, I have a lot of optimistic guesses going forward and they turn out to be right. With, anyway, with that very important story out of the way, let's get back to this brutal loss. Turnovers are the story here. Three turnovers that either took points off the board for ND or gave Cincy the ball in the red zone that translated into 10 Bearcat points. Let's look at the advanced box score. Postgame win expectancy, 99% for Cincinnati. No surprise there. Total yardage in this game was fairly even. Turnover battle was 3-2, but the timing of Endy's three turnovers were really deadly. And seven penalties for Endy. That really stalled a lot of drives in this game. So 99% postgame win expectancy for Cincinnati just really outplayed Notre Dame in this game.
1: Let's dive into the defensive side of the ball. Notre Dame allowed a 43% success rate. Again, anything in the mid-40s is really good for an offense. Since he really quite consistently throughout this game was able to move the ball, keep the chains moving, being in manageable second and third down situations. Notre Dame's defense generated a 15% havoc rate. Pretty good, but below our season average of about 19-20%. And then explosiveness for Cincinnati was 1.3. That's a pretty good number. Uh, but what I'd say is Notre Dame's defense, they did a good job keeping points off the board. Really, 10 points were pretty much handed to Cincinnati off of Notre Dame turnovers and rest of the way, Notre Dame allowed two long scoring drives, but otherwise a pretty good sort of bend-don't-break performance against a very good Cincinnati offense. I think overall, Marcus Freeman and the defensive unit did, did a really good job in this game.
0: Definitely. The other thing that stood out to me was Andy's uh, defense completely controlled the line of scrimmage. Since these uh, line yards were 2.4, again, line yards, that's how many yards does the offensive line generate before the running back is hit. Anything about three is good. Anything below about 2.7 or 2.8 is bad. So 2.4, really good job by Andy's front seven controlling that line of scrimmage.
1: Looking at the pro football focus grades, DJ Brown, the safety starting opposite of Kyle Hamilton, easily his best game of the year, led the way with a grade of 83. Isaiah Foskey was creating havoc everywhere. Really great game, graded out at an 82. Seven other players in the 70s. Uh, So Notre Dame's defensive unit played really well. Those are all starter and above-average grades. The two exceptions, rough day at the office for Clarence Lewis with a grade of 59, so that's a replaceable level grade. He was targeted five times, gave up three completions for 108 yards. Most of that going to Alec Pierce, who led Cincy's uh, offense with 144 receiving yards in this game. And then J.D. Bertrand, he graded out at a 37 so that's basically, this guy should be benched territory. Really um, just tough performance for Bertrand at, at linebacker.
0: As we've mentioned before is a concern moving forward, the problem is is depth at linebacker. Bertrand is playing because Shane Simon, Maris Luefau, and Paul Moala all, all, they are all out with season-ending injuries. We've talked about Bertrand for a couple weeks in a row now. It seems like he really wears down as the game goes on. When ND was down four and needed to stop to get the ball back to the offense, Bertrand was picked on as since he marched down the field. Six plays for 75 yards. Bertrand lost containment on the Ritter touchdown. I believe he also missed a tackle or was out of position on two other plays on that drive, including the 36-yarder from Ritter to tight end Leonard Taylor. In fact, Bertrand was targeted eight times on the day in the passing game. He allowed seven receptions when he was the primary defender um, that went for, for 90 yards. And to reiterate,
1: we think J.D. Bertrand has a very bright future. He's a young player, and he's getting thrown into really tough situations right now. He played all 63 defensive snaps in this game, never got a breather, never came off the field, and I really think you just see him wear down as the game goes along. Tough fourth quarter, again, that's a recurring theme with with J.D., and it just seems like the young linebackers being put out in some really tough positions um, due to the other injuries at, at the linebacker position group.
0: Definitely. It seems like a lot of the drives that we have given up For points on the defense while we've generally been consistent they have tended to come a little bit more later in the game and certainly part of that is bertrand wearing down as the game goes on Um, moving to the offense just frankly an ugly watch cincinnati has a top 10 defense and it dominated notre dame the irish success rate was just 35 percent, and andy actually generated enough big plays explosive rating of over 1.4 so one of the more explosive games all year that surprises, considering ND only had one play over 23 yards. But it felt like every time ND got positive yards, it was 10, 15, 20-yard chunk plays. However, Cincy's uh, defense created a ridiculous 24% habit rate. And especially up front, their defensive line was absolutely knocking Endy off the line of scrimmage. And it seemed like every play, there was at least one Notre Dame offensive lineman several yards in the backfield.
1: The one caveat to that. Notre Dame got a better push in the run game than we have all season. Kyron and Tyree averaged 3.6 yards per carry. Still not great, but that's easily the best performance on the season. And the line yards, a a stat now we've talked about for a couple weeks, uh, the line yards for Notre Dame's offense was 2.9, still below where Notre Dame was the last few seasons when we were 3 to 3.2, but much improved relative to the first four games, almost by a half yard per play. We might be the only media personalities covering Notre Dame football with this conclusion, but we saw a lot of reason for optimism with the offensive line. A, a big improvement in several key advanced metrics against a really, really good Cincinnati defense. Hopefully this is a building block going forward for the offensive line and, and really see this start to move in the right direction.
0: Certainly felt better than Wisconsin, and that was something that I was looking to this game. Um, Again, like Brett said, a reason for optimism. Hopefully, we can continue to build on it. Looking at more pro football focus grades, Drew Pine led the way with a grade of 81. But only one other offensive player was in the 70s, and that was baby Gronk Mike Mayer, who posted eight catches for 93 yards. And I will note, for for a chunk of those, he was actually noticeably hurt. Kevin Austin, also worth noting here, looked like he got benched in the fourth quarter. His pro football focus grade was just 49. So really bad outing for Austin who has been pretty inconsistent at times this year. And no surprise, rest of the Irish offense really graded out in that 60s range, which is basically replaceable. Overall, just a bad showing.
1: Yet, we're going to insert some listener questions now to help put this game in big-picture perspective. First question, who should Notre Dame start at quarterback going forward? Look, it's it's got to be Drew Pine. In this game, Jack Cohen's predicted points added per play was zero. Drew Pine's was 0. 0.2. Uh, Ian Book averaged about 0.4 for the season, and he was an above-average college quarterback. So it's not like Pine was exactly lighting it up at 0.2. But as Mike mentioned, he had the pro football focus grade of 81. He had a pro football focus grade of 83 against Wisconsin. In this game, you know his, his stat line was pretty pedestrian, 9 of 22 throwing, so the stats weren't flashy. But what we're seeing is receivers just weren't getting open Pine was doing what he could. He kept plays alive with his legs. Um, it wasn't flashy, but the advanced metrics are saying he's just outperforming Cohn, who, you know, for context, Jack Cohn's Pro Football Focus grade is 67 on the season compared to 83 for Drew Pine. Limited sample size for Pine. Um, certainly a bigger sample size for Jack Cohn, but I think Drew Pine's shown enough that he deserves to be the starter.
0: Yeah, and a couple pretty brutal drops on some Pine throws. Of course, we have the the, the Kevin Austin one. Um, but now in defense of Jack Cohn on the season, Cohn and Pine are basically identical in predicted points added per play at 0.2. So I think we need a caveat that Cohn is hanging in there. We talked about all the sacks he's taken, playing behind a poor offensive line, but we are big fans of Jack Cohn. We love his leadership. Um, but it is time for a switch, and the stats and the pro football focus grade support that. The other way to look at this is what the QB decision means for the program. When you're undefeated... And still playing for the playoffs, the veteran QB will help win games now. But let's be very realistic: the path to the college football playoff for the Irish is slim to none right now. So get the younger QB reps, give your program the opportunity to have an experienced QB going into future seasons, and get those growing pains out of the way now in a season where you know you aren't contending for a championship.
1: Before going to our listener, uh, our next listener question, just a quick insert too on the Michael Mayer injury. Just looked it up while, while you're going through that segment. Sounds like it was a groin strain that he tweaked all the way back in camp. Doesn't seem too serious. Both he and Kelly were talking that he'll be ready to go next week. But um, big, big storyline if Notre Dame loses one of its biggest offensive weapons. Uh, Next listener question, is Jeff Quinn on the hot seat? Jeff Quinn, Notre Dame's offensive line coach, a a unit that's probably been our weakest position group on the season, almost without a doubt. Um, Is he on the hot seat? Maybe. Definitely yes. But I'd actually flip that question around and not focus on Jeff Quinn and the offensive line. We, we mentioned uh, Mike and I have reason for optimism on the offensive line improving, and I think where the scrutiny needs to go is on Tom Reese. It's almost as if it's assumed that he's the play caller and QB coach and that the offensive line is just all Jeff Quinn's problem. But let's be clear, Reese is the offensive coordinator. He's in charge of the entire offense. And I think more of this burden needs to fall on him to get the offensive line to play better and, frankly, just the offense as a whole. And it's becoming clear that his play calling hasn't had enough creativity to help this offensive line. Against Cincinnati, there was only one jet sweep or uh, end around run play, so basically no misdirection. There were several screen passes, but it got to the point where running screen passes was the only tool in the toolkit to try to mix things up. Um, Seems like we're running really long-developing route trees. No quick passing game, no bubble screens. There's a lot of ways to slow down pass rushes, and it seems like we're just lacking creativity. Even tendencies. There were three consecutive drives in the first half that started run-run-pass, which is the most predictable tendency for a football team is to run on first and second down and throw on third down. So right now, I'm more focused on Tom Reese pulling this entire unit together. I'm frankly less focused on the young offensive line. Uh, We knew they were inexperienced. We knew that this has been an issue for a month now. It's time for the offensive coordinator to make some adjustments and find solutions.
0: Agreed. And as we mentioned, we did look better in the run game against Cincinnati, but I wouldn't say that we necessarily looked good, which we did touch on. And I think that uh, some of Reese's play calling, he was confusing better for good and worth it. And the balance of time seemed to be a little bit too run heavy. Um, So moving on. Last question. Where does Andy go from here? Is this still a top 10, top win team? I think we're both optimistic since he's a really good team. Throughout Group of Five and all that nonsense, this is a top 10 team in virtually every efficiency rating. They played Georgia to a three-point game to close out last year and remove some inexplicable turnovers. Andy basically plays them to a tie. So I think Irish fans probably need to take a deep breath on this one. We talked in the opener, ESPN's win predictor has Notre Dame at 8.7 expected wins. So that's down from last week, just barely above where we were to start the season. But the good news is Notre Dame is favored in all of its remaining games according to that ESPN win predictor. So the path to 11 wins is definitely there. The flip side of that, Notre
1: Dame only has a win percent of 50 to 60% against Virginia Tech, UNC, UVA, and Stanford. If you multiply all those, there's a 4% chance Notre Dame loses all four of those games and and would finish 7-5 and or worse. So not likely, but there's a greater than 0% chance that Notre Dame's a 7-win team. Now, I'm optimistic Notre Dame gets to 10 wins, but the margin of error is definitely thin. And look, the two most likely outcomes per the data and all the advanced metrics is that Notre Dame's an 8- or 9-win team. 10 certainly isn't a gimme. 11... It's going to take a big improvement very quickly, particularly for the Irish offense. With that, uh, let's move on. Greener pastures ahead. Let's preview the Virginia Tech game. Virginia Tech, Lane Stadium, enter Sandman. 3-1 and on the season for the Hokies. This squad is led by head coach Justin Fuentes. Many thought he was on the hot seat coming into this season, now his sixth year leading the Hokies. SP Plus efficiency rating has this as the 33rd most efficient team on a neutral field. That implies that they'd be a little less than three points worse than Notre Dame. For SP Plus, this is a fairly even team across the board. They're the 37th most efficient offense, 33rd most efficient defense, so pretty balanced on both sides of the football.
0: Let's start with their games to date. They kicked off the year with a huge 17-10 win over UNC, who came in as a preseason top-10 team and a Heisman hopeful QB. Uh, and Virginia Tech bottled them up. Um, since then, wins over Middle Tennessee and Richmond. Not very convincing uh, against Richmond, an FCS appointment. They were 29-point uh, favorites here, and save for a punt return touchdown, they really struggled to move the football and played this game pretty close the entire game. Then the week before that, uh, they lost 27-21 on the road to West Virginia. West Virginia, in all fairness, saw a team. Uh, they lost by six to an undefeated Maryland, and only by three to Oklahoma, a top-ten team, uh, who has looked a, b- a bit mixed at times, but nonetheless a top-ten team.
1: So mixed results so far, big win over UNC, and in that UNC game, Sam Howell had three interceptions. Uh, so Virginia's uh, Virginia Tech's offense, they really struggled. Sure, it was a big win for the Hokies, but it wasn't exactly a decisive win. Uh, and then really lackluster performances against Richmond and West Virginia. We, we went back and watched some of the game recaps for this team, and honestly, they look fine. But this team, to me, seems overhyped. Seems like they got the benefit of Sam Howell on an off night in an opener when North Carolina was replacing a lot of Sam Howell's supporting cast. And since then, this looks like a middle-of-the-pack ACC team.
0: Quick correction on a uh, comment I just made. Maryland is not undefeated. They actually just lost this past weekend. Um, Oh, yeah, quite
1: badly. Iowa trouts. Yes.
0: Yeah, as soon as I said it, I was like, yep, that is is not right. Um, Yeah, it was a pretty memorable loss. Uh, But anyways, turning to the offense on the season, 43% success rate, which ranks exactly in the middle of the country, explosiveness of 1.1. That ranks 95th out of 127 teams. And they allow havoc plays on 19% of plays which is 100th out of 127 teams. So they do a decent job moving the ball, but haven't generated big plays, and they consistently allow defenses to disrupt drives. And it shows. Against UNC, they took a 14-0 first half lead, and then they failed to get in the end zone after that. Other than Middle Tennessee State, they haven't scored more than 21 points in a game.
1: Going through their offensive personnel, the Hokies are led by quarterback Braxton Burmeister. He enrolled at Oregon, didn't make the starting depth chart, transfers to Virginia Tech. He was the number 305th recruit in his class, so a solid four-star quarterback. Interestingly, he's from La Jolla, California, the same hometown as Tyler Buckner. Look, Burmeister's fine. He grades out at a 73 in pro football focus. That's a little bit better than Jack Cone. Um, Their big wide receiver threat is Tavion Robinson. Uh, he's only averaging about 40 yards per game. And then really where this team tries to focus is in the run game. And, and right now it's a running back by committee with Jalen Hosten and Raheem Blackshear. Both grade out around 70 by pro football focus. And then similar to Notre Dame, the offensive line is considered the weakness of this offense. Their five starting linemen all grade out between 63 and 73 with most in the mid-60s. So um, definitely not an overpowering unit up front.
0: Last thing about this offensive scheme Uh, It definitely tries to be run first. Last year, it generated 440 yards per game, and that started with the best run offense in the ACC. The two leading rushers last year were Khalil Herbert, who now plays for the NFL's worst franchise, Uh, Brett's words, not mine, Uh, the Chicago Bears, and the second leading rusher was QB uh, Hendon Hooker, who transferred to Tennessee. But what's a bit unique about this offense is that it's a spread, and when you think of shotgun, four wide receivers, or three wide receivers, you don't often think run first. Um, and Fuente, he's known for going against tendencies. So he's, if he's got shotgun, two wide receiver, and a tight end to the left, and one right, wide receiver to the right, the defense is thinking run left all the way. But Fuente will just as often run it to the right, to the weak side of the field. So the Irish defense will need to stay really disciplined here against this type of run attack.
1: Yeah, it's a great call out on the scheme. It's a very different look than what Notre Dame's seen the last two weeks against Wisconsin and Cincy, which run more traditional pro-style offenses now, the good news is that Notre Dame has seen this offense before, and they've done really well. We, we played Justin Fuentes and Virginia Tech in both 2018 and 2019, and the defense allowed 23 and 20 points, respectively, in those games.
0: Flipping to the defense, the defense struggled last year, ranked 69th in the country per FEI, and through four games, it's a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, they, of course, shut down the prolific North Carolina offense, but that was largely UNC turning the ball over. Virginia Tech still gave up a ton of yards in that game, and uh, the key metrics are pretty good. They rank 25th in success rate allowed at just 35%, and they are generating a ridiculous havoc rate of 28%, which is good for fourth in the country, but explosiveness allowed is 1.4. So this defense has given up some huge chunk plays and on a regular basis. That explosiveness ranks 119th out of 130 teams in the country.
1: The other area where it's a tale of two cities is the defensive line and linebackers in the front seven. In the run game, Virginia Tech allows 3.4 line yards per rush attempt. Uh, we've talked now about that stat quite a bit. For an offense, 2.5 or less is bad. For a defense, um, anything over 3 is is bad. So 3.4, that's really bad. That's 103rd in the country. Um, but their front 7 has a havoc rate of 19%. So almost two-thirds of their havoc plays are generated by the front 7. And that 19% front 7 havoc rate is good for fifth in the country. So in the run game, we might finally see the Notre Dame offensive line get things going. It's, it's an area where Virginia Tech really struggles. But this is going to be another tough test to protect the quarterback, an area where Notre Dame has struggled, and, and an area where Virginia Tech really gets after it.
0: In terms of personnel, they bring back eight starters, led by Amare Barno. He's their leading pass rusher, had six and a half sacks in 2020. However, he's only graded out at 62 by Pro Football Focus this year. So hasn't been the breakout year he was anticipating. In fact, of their nine guys with the most snaps on defense, only two grade out above a 70 on pro football focus. Jermaine Walker, a corner, he's got three interceptions through four games, but he's also been targeted 18 times and is allowing 67% pass completion percentage. Uh, so, making some big plays, but also giving up some yardage. Uh, Taiwan Garbett, worth a call out. He's grading out at 77 as a rotation player on the D-line, but already has three sacks, so uh, he's really he's someone who's really starting to emerge for the defense
1: and then three players basically tied for team lead in tackles with 22 or 23 safety nazir peoples linebacker Allen tisdale and linebacker dax Holifield. Uh but peoples and tisdale they're grading out at 58 and 64 so basically replaceable starters per pro football focus Let's go through score predictions and closing thoughts. Per SP Plus ratings, Notre Dame's about a 2-3 to three point favorite on a neutral field, so that means about a 2-point underdog on the road. And Lane Stadium, this is going to be a night game. You know that place will be rocking. Really tough environment. One of the loudest environments Notre Dame will face all year. Frankly, maybe other than Florida State, this is not even close. The, the, the most difficult road environment we'll have. Um, And then ESPN win predictor has Notre Dame winning this game 53% of the time. So another close game, another virtual toss-up, third straight week for Notre Dame to have a tough, close matchup. And worth noting once again, the opponent's rested. Virginia Tech coming off a bye week, third time in a row where Notre Dame will face an opponent who's who's rested up off of a bye week. So, Mike, what's your prediction?
0: Uh, So we're still waiting on the early lines here. Um, I've seen some people tweet that they think it'll be uh, ND favored by a couple points but we'll see uh, both sp plus and fbi essentially have this as a toss-up i really could go either way on this game at this point ND is who they are uh, a line kelly used to refer to the offensive line but i do think it's applicable to the whole team the defense is a generally strong unit with some lapses here and there um, as we mentioned it tends to happen as the game kind of goes on and a few players may, may wear down a bit uh, and the offense is maddeningly inconsistent with a weak offensive line uh, Albert, uh, one that has shown a little bit of uh, signs of improvement against Cincy. Andy also had some pretty poor production from the QB and receiver positions. Uh, there's just a number of question marks going into this game. The biggest being who will start a QB. Most of the offense is honestly a question mark at this point for QB one. I imagine it will be pine this week for the reasons we already discussed. And, and maybe that gives us some steadier play while mitigating some of those line struggles. One observation I had on pine uh, that's worth pointing out. Clearly he is much more mobile than cone coming out of camp his mobility was generally spoken of as comparable to Cohn's. Having watched him in real action, that obviously is not the case, and he looks closer to Book, if anything. So I'm not ready to anoint Pine the savior of ND football here. Uh, I've liked what I've seen from him so far, and if he starts, I'll give the Irish the edge here on the row 24-21. But I don't feel great about this prediction, and at this point I would stay far away from betting on Notre Dame.
1: So I'm going to take a slightly different view, although similar outcome. I think this is a big bounce-back game for Notre Dame. I've got them winning this one 31-20 to 20, uh, in, in favor of the Irish, and, and I feel really confident in it. Um, if you got 10 20 bucks, or however much you want to bet, I would go heavy on Notre Dame here to bounce back. I think Marcus Freeman's defense is going to continue to step up. They've just looked really consistent week in and week out. I think you're seeing a top-20 uh, unit on the field, a top-20 defense. And that is going to be the best unit on the field. Um, between Notre Dame's offense, defense, Virginia Tech's offense, defense, Notre Dame's defense is the best unit on the field, and I think that wins out. I was thinking this is the first game where Notre Dame gets a 100-yard rusher from Kyron Williams, and I think they control the line of scrimmage. They move the football, whether it's Drew Pine, Jack Cohn. I'm, I'm hoping it's Drew Pine, but I think Notre Dame gets the run game going finally um, in, in, in week uh, five here, or sorry, week six, and Notre Dame goes into their bye week at four and one.
0: Yeah, let's see if Brett can keep his, uh, his good uh, winning percentage for, against the spread going. One quick aside, I actually just looked up the, the uh, opening lines. They just came out. So it's been moving around a little bit, but it's looking like Notre Dame is going to be about a two-point favorite. So that seems about right, and that was kind of in line with, with what we were thinking. Um, all right, so all that being said, let's uh, move on to our next segment.
1: The Bears are who we thought they were. And that's why we took the damn field. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook.
0: Is Notre Dame overrated? I'm not sure what the two most commonly used clickbait headlines here are for, for ESPN and Fox. Uh, is Notre Dame relevant, or is Notre Dame overrated? But I'll answer them in one sentence Notre Dame is overrated because we are so relevant. The college football is strongly incentivized to overrate us.
1: We'll break down all the stats on the question to answer whether or not Notre Dame is overrated. But let's first explain what we mean by how Notre Dame's relevance plays into Notre Dame's overratedness. Notre Dame is relevant. Period. Full stop. Anything to the contrary is just silly. It's a top five football program in terms of operating income. It's one of the most storied programs in all of college football. And the Irish are one of only five programs with multiple appearances in the college football playoff. So anyone asking the question, is Notre Dame relevant? Just stop it already. You sound like a jealous toddler when losing an argument with a sibling or a parent. Just just stop it. Notre Dame's relevant.
0: Notre Dame is so relevant, in fact, that college football makes more money when Indy is in the picture. So college football playoff, TV ratings, ticket prices, jersey sales, look, money, money, and more money. They all go up when Notre Dame is on the field. So if you said Notre Dame is really the number 10 team in the country, but if you squint and make all sorts of weird arguments, then now you look and they're the number four team in the country, you would put them in the college football playoff or some other big bowl game to ensure those high TV ratings and a lot more money. Uh, but then by definition, you are overrating Notre Dame. College game day in October, they will get more TV ratings and advertising revenue if Notre Dame gets its own segment every week. And uh, Notre Dame gets its own segment when it's a preseason top 10 team. So of course, Notre Dame gets voted as a preseason top 10 team uh, more frequently than, than you would expect. Well, maybe not more than you expect, but uh, than they may be deserving. So even if there may be only a top 25 t- team, uh, but then by definition, you are overrating Notre Dame.
1: College football pundits, especially in the Big Ten and SEC, they have a conundrum. They try to claim Notre Dame isn't relevant, and then they try to claim that Notre Dame is overrated, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. Notre Dame's overrated. We agree. We'll dive into that momentarily, but that's directly a function of the fact that we are just so darn relevant. So, what do we mean by Notre Dame being overrated? We're gonna systematically use SP plus ratings as a measure of how good a football team actually is. This is your efficiency rating, what the advanced stats actually tell about how good a football team is. It normalizes for strength of schedule, for garbage time, and all sorts of complex mathematical adjustments. It's recognized as one of the best efficiency rating systems in college football. You could also look at FEI or a host of other predictive analytics that you know we've referenced a few on the show, but for purpose of this segment, we're gonna just focus on SP plus for this exercise.
0: And we're going to use the AP poll for how a football team is rated by the media and the general college football community taken as a whole. So if SP Plus has you rated it as the number five team in the country, but you're only 15 in the AP poll, then you're underrated and vice versa. If, if SP Plus says you're the number 15 in the country, but you're number uh, five in the AP poll, then you're overrated.
1: The data, it goes back to 1985 when the AP poll was just 20 teams. And that's the furthest back that Bill Connolly has recreated the SP Plus rating system. So 300 teams have been deemed overrated where their ranking in the final AP poll was at least five places higher than the SP+. We looked at that using three spots, seven spots, 10 spots instead of five spots. The numbers change, but the takeaways really don't. So we're looking at 300 cases where a team was overrated by at least five spots at the end of the season. And then we made one more filter. From 1985 to 2000, seemed to be a lot more noise as college football rankings weren't as closely tied to uh, analytics in the internet age. For example, Texas A&M was by far the most overrated team in the 1990s. Sorry, Aggies. But that doesn't fit the description since 2000. So we cut the date off. We're just going to go back to 2000. There's 189 teams that have been overrated since 2000 using this methodology.
0: Let's start with a few non-Notre Dame-related themes. Group of Five schools are disproportionately overrated in the polls. This makes sense. They play really weak schedules, inflates their win-loss record, and they wind up ranked at the end of the year despite no quality wins on the schedule. Boise State, they've been overrated 10 times in the last 20 years. They've only finished as a ranked team 13 times. So, Boise State is overrated 76% of the time. They're in the AP Top 25 at the end of the season. Next on the list is the most overrated team. TCU, and almost entirely when TCU was still in the Mountain West before 2012. That's a great fact pattern that Group of Five schools are overrated. TCU consistently was ranked when playing a weak Mountain West schedule, and since joining the Big 12, not so much now that they're playing a tougher competition.
1: Group of Five schools make up 59 of the 189 overrated teams in the last 20 years. That makes up 31% of overrated teams. And again, we're only looking at teams that finished in the top 25 in the AP poll. So maybe the better way to look at this, group of five schools have finished in the final AP poll 80 times since 2000. 59 of them were overrated. So 75% of the group of five schools that finish in the final AP poll are overrated. That's a wild stat. Anyone who wants UCF and Cincy and Boise State in the college football playoff, that's a totally valid opinion. It brings more parity to college football, more opportunity in the sport. But just know that those teams are very, very rarely actually a top five team in the country. In fact, only once in the last 20 years has a group of five team finished in the top five of the SP plus ratings. And that was TCU in 2009, again, when they were a member of the Mountain West Conference.
0: Okay, so group of five schools are overrated, but we're here to talk about Notre Dame. And not surprising, Notre Dame is overrated too. Behind TCU and Boise State, Notre Dame is the next most overrated team, being overrated six times in the last 20 years. Interestingly, before 2000, Notre Dame was never overrated. This just furthers our hypothesis that Notre Dame has become overrated because the media benefits from it. As ESPN, NBC, and Fox and CBS have realized, there's more money to be made with ND. All the more reason to promote Notre Dame, and that translates, not surprisingly, to being overrated in the polls.
1: Let's double-click on those six seasons. Notre Dame has finished in the AP Top 25 in 11 seasons since 2000. Six of those, we were overrated. So Notre Dame is overrated about 55% of the time when we finish in the top 25. In 2019, Notre Dame finished uh, 12th with an SP Plus rating of 19. In 2018, Notre Dame makes the college football playoff. We finished 5th in the AP poll, but we're only number 13 in SP Plus. In 2013, Notre Dame follows up its BCS title run. Uh, run to the title game, finishing 20th in the AP poll despite a number 30 ranking in SP+. Plus. And most notably of all, in the BCS title run, Notre Dame finished number 15 in the SP+, Plus and number 4 in the AP poll. Keep in mind, the BCS era was designed to use computers to determine the two best teams, and they had Notre Dame as number 1 overall, despite what we really know is they were number 15 overall. But as we've learned in the last decade... The BCS was really flawed. The BCS was a hyped-up computer system that didn't really try to find the two best football teams. It placed a ton of weight on wins and losses and really had a sneaky way to promote blue-chip college football programs. The best analytics in the game said Notre Dame was number 15. The BCS quote-unquote computer system had Notre Dame number one. It's almost hilarious how Notre Dame uh, is overrated in a way that benefits the rest of college football, TV ratings, and, and all the money that just pours into the sport.
0: Okay, so the verdict's clear. Notre Dame is overrated. The other most overrated Power 5 teams, so Utah, has been overrated 75% of the time when it finishes in the top 25 in the AP, although most of that was when they were a Group of 5 school. Northwestern has been overrated every single time it's finished in the AP top 25. Michigan State, 71% of the time. Wisconsin, Oregon, and Iowa, all around 40% of the time. Even Ohio State has been overrated four times, although that's only 21% of the time. So I want to highlight that while ND is frequently overrated, so are a lot of other programs. That's not to diminish the fact that Notre Dame is often overrated, but I also don't want to conclude that the entire system is one big scam, although that's probably a fair opinion too.
1: One other cut worth looking at is how high Notre Dame's rankings look when you consider their AP preseason rankings. Since 2010 in the Kelly era, Notre Dame has finished worse in the AP poll than where they started 45% of the time. So from a preseason hype perspective, it's, it's not quite as bad. Their final SP Plus ranking was still lower 55% of the time compared to the preseason AP ranking, though. but obviously the spread isn't quite as severe. Um, if you look at the data after the 2016 reboot, Notre Dame has finished worse in its final AP ranking than its preseason AP ranking only 25% of the time, so just once. Uh, comparing that preseason AP ranking to the final SP Plus ranking, Notre Dame has finished overrated twice, so a 50% rate. A 50% rate would indicate you're on average not underrated or overrated, so limited sample size, obviously. But an interesting takeaway that since the reboot, Notre Dame's generally outperformed its initial preseason AP ranking and has been right on the money with those preseason rankings when compared to its final SP-plus ratings.
0: Let's wrap up with one other question on the topic. Is it good for Notre Dame to be overrated? Uh, On the one hand, it helps feed your relevance. You play in bigger games. You make the playoffs when maybe you shouldn't. Get into bigger bowl games. Get way more press than you otherwise deserve, which helps recruiting. But the downside, which Notre Dame fans are all aware of, is that you're often put into big-time matchups as a big underdog.
1: Let's take through the spreads of Notre Dame's big bowl games. We were a 19.5-point underdog against Alabama last year. 10.5-point underdog against uh, Clemson in the 2019 Rose Bowl. 7-point underdog against Ohio State in the 2016 Fiesta Bowl. 10-point underdogs in the 2012 National Championship game against Alabama. And frankly, that was just a bad line. SP Plus at Alabama is a 17-point favor in that game. Uh, 9-point underdogs to LSU in the 2007 Sugar Bowl. So everyone talks about Notre Dame's performance in big games and how we never come up with a big win. We've averaged being an 11-point underdog in these games, and that goes up to 13 points if you adjust the 2012 Alabama betting line to match SP+. So just to put that into context, 11 to 13-point underdogs win about 25 to 30% of the time. Rough math, there's a bunch of different analysis out there, but but most of the analysis triangulates around if you're an 11 to 13-point underdog, you're going to win 25 to 30% of the time. So sure, has Notre Dame gotten blown out in some of these games? Absolutely. But that's what happens when you're nearly a two-touchdown underdog. And the goal is to maybe win 25% of those games. So Notre Dame hasn't done that. We've, we've won zero. Shame on us. That sucks. But in these five big games we just referenced, the goal is to maybe go 1-4, it's just really tough odds. And, and to be clear, that also means we're never favored to win. Not once in the BCS or college football playoff era have we been favored in a big game. Now, sure, I wish we were better, but I'm just glad we get to swing the bat. Um, and it just reiterates the point that we get put in games we have no business being in and then we lose. But I'll always take my shot for a national title or for the big upset rather than not playing in the game at all.
0: Putting it all together, Notre Dame is overrated. It's really hard to argue against the data on this one. And as a result, we get put in big games where we are big underdogs more than any other team in the country. And because we are big underdogs, we lose a lot on the biggest stage. And so have developed a reputation of not being able to win big games. But that's really bad logic. So when your neighbor from the SEC or coworker from the Big Ten tries to play the overrated card, just kindly smile, nod your head, and say, yes, I agree. Notre Dame is overrated. But it's because we are relevant. And because we are relevant, we get to swing the bat more often than we should in really big games. And sure, losing sucks, but I'd rather get to swing for the fences as one of the country's most relevant college football teams than just sitting on the sideline. We're going to keep g- getting back here. And you, everybody can keep saying, uh, you know, Notre Dame's not good enough. Well, you know what? You're going to have a problem because we're going to keep winning
1: games. We're going to keep getting back here. And uh, we're going to break through. And, um, And then I am going to be terrible to be at a press conference with. Terrible. All right, we're going to close out this week's show going back to uh, Notre Dame obscurity of the week. And and this one, not so much an obscure fact, but more a topic that doesn't get covered very often. Future scheduling. We're going to close out by looking at Notre Dame's future opponents, which right now they're scheduled all the way out to 2037 for ACC matchups.
0: Let's start with some eye-popping stats. Notre Dame will play at least one of the following teams every single season for the next ten years: Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Texas A&M, Wisconsin, Arkansas, and Florida. Twelve games in ten years. Nine of those fourteen games will be against Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, the cream of the crop of college football.
1: So Notre Dame has home and away series scheduled for non-traditional matchups going out to 2034 basically non-ACC teams and non-Stanford and non-USC who have the annual scheduling that fills up seven games. Those home and away series are Wisconsin, the Lambeau Field game is rescheduled for 2026, Ohio State, Texas A&M, Arkansas, including the rescheduled 2020 matchup, Alabama, Florida, and Michigan. Again, some of those programs will rise and fall, but it's just worth noting that Jack Swarbrick, that's one hell of a job scheduling these matchups.
0: Then, of course, the five ACC games. That rotates. Seems like we draw Clemson a lot, but it really is evenly distributed scheduling. And then USC and Stanford. Stanford is on the schedule through 2024. Uh, while no formal announcement has been made about extending, Notre Dame has left a spot in every season beginning in 2025 that appears to be reserved for Stanford. And similarly, USC is scheduled out to 2026 with an additional spot reserved in 2027 forward. Uh Who knows? Who knows if that could change?
1: Other takeaways, geographic balance, especially if Stanford and and USC continues. That guarantees us one game on the West Coast. Of course, the Midwest presence for all of our home games. And then the ACC slate, where you get to play in the Carolinas, Georgia, or Florida in 14 of the next 15 seasons. That's awesome. Big help for official visits. Getting in the backyard of recruits and in the recruiting hotbeds, really coast to coast.
0: And to wrap this up, the last big takeaway Irish fans. Notre Dame plays Ohio State and Clemson in both 2022 and 2023. So look, any program is beatable, particularly when projecting out the next 10 years, but let's set expectations that getting to the college football playoff, either undefeated or as a one loss team, it's going to be very tough the next two seasons. That's about as tough a schedule as you're going to see, particularly with the likes of North Carolina, Stanford, and USC also on the schedule. Next two years are shaping up to be a real test for where, uh, where the ND program can get to. If this is the rebuild or reload year for Brian Kelly that's OK. But Tyler Buckner and the rest of the Irish will be put to the test to see if they elevate their game. And by the end of 2024, I think we'll have a very, very clear picture if Brian Kelly has what it takes to bring that elusive national title back to South Bend.
1: All right. So with that, it's a wrap. Hopefully Irish get back on the win streak. Gyrish beat Hokies. Gyrish.